Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Uh, we're going to go into the time where I read today's teaching text, and uh, we're going to tread a little differently today. So I ask that if you are able, that you would stand with me. Um, and the receiving of the teaching text. Um, This is the word of God. Um, That's what we believe here at Reunion. And so we want to receive that um, with integrity, with our whole minds, hearts, and souls. Um, So this is the teaching text for today from Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so I can explain myself a little bit. We, we did have like a will signing at our winter dinner party. This is not a joke. Uh, they made the joke, but it's, it's real. Um, my wife is very organized and was like, we have two children. What if we die? Who gets our kids? And so freewill.com, all right? This is my plug. I don't get, get nothing from this. And just so you know, um, Katie and I are fortunate enough to have a car for our kids. But if we both die, Will and Carissa are in the back. Will is wearing the hat. They get our car, and so, just so you know, if you want to borrow it, if we die, you can ask them, so. All right, so, we are going through Mark's gospel, um, and really what we're trying to do is we want our minds and our hearts attuned to the person uh, of Jesus. How might the person of Jesus shape us on a personal level, but then shape us as a church? And so when um, Rachel and Katie are walking through um, the announcements, what, what we're actually doing is these are our desires in following Jesus. So it's like um, less, hear less announcements and more ways to live out the mission of who we want to be as a church. And so um, when we go through these passages, we're doing the exact same thing. We're tuning our hearts to serve like Jesus served, right? We're giving generously like Jesus gives. And then the other part of it is that if you're new, um, what it is is that um, it's, it's a way of hospitality, and so when we read these passages, we're, we're seeing how Jesus met people and how he welcomed them with care. And so if you're new, I want you to know that um, this is our primary desire to, to be a community following Jesus. And we're willing to be wrong about a lot of things so that the, the, the Jesus thing would actually shape us. And so please come to our newcomers gathering. It would be an honor um, to meet you. 
So our passage today is sort of like um, Christmas in July, um, or it's like um, half birthdays, which we should definitely celebrate half birthdays more. Um, but really, this Palm Sunday text is the text that you read the week leading up to Easter. But that's actually what I want to do today, is I want to prepare our hearts for Easter. It's 11 weeks away where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Who do we understand Jesus to be as he's coming into this place called Jerusalem? And I'll talk about the implications of all that. In fact, what I really want to do today is I want to spend a lot of time in this text. You might say, um, hopefully what you're saying um, through the text is like, what does this have to do with me at all? What does this have to do with me? And then we'll get to some like personal implications, but let's try and understand what Jesus is doing as he enters um, Jerusalem today. And one of my favorite ways to, to read scripture, if you're ever wondering, like, how do I read this? Um, read the text, but ask the question, God, what are you like? God, what are you like? And I want to kind of ask that question as we read this today. So let's pray, and then we'll get into this. And if you want to pull it up on your phone, you can do that too. Um, and so, Father, I just pray right now that um, you would be here in our midst, that this... Um, that this dance studio could somehow be a place, uh, a thin space where um, we could meet with you, that we could um, be together with others, that we could make friends and we could feel welcome and warmth and, and that would be a good thing. Um, but also, God, that it would be a place where we understand who you are in a greater way, that we would experience your grace, not just in our heads, but um, in our hearts. And so, God, today, what we have not, would you give us? What we know not, would you teach us? And what we are not, would you make us? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So the text really has a lot of like um, complicated ideas or claims about who Jesus is. And in fact, what you're actually getting is some self-assertions about who Jesus is. But maybe I, I thought we could begin on who we are talking about when we read this text. And maybe unwind a little bit of what we believe and just start with like a um, like common ground. And so let's talk about the historic person of Jesus as like a, a level playing field. And so if you're like, I'm not sure about Jesus or like, I don't know, let's start like on a historical base and then I'll attempt to build on that a little bit. Jesus of Nazareth is one of the most prominent figures in history, born somewhere around 4 BC in Northern Palestine. Um, like we're talking history here um, in a town called Nazareth. Um, Mary was his mother. She was from a priestly family. His cousin John was um, in the line of priests. He ended up being kind of an odd priest in that sense. Um, his mother's husband, Joseph, was from an ancient royal family in the lineage of King David. And so that's where the line crosses uh, through actually his father. Um, though as time passed, there was really no social status of being a part of that descent. Um, we don't know a lot about Jesus' life as a children, but what we can gather is that um, Jesus was very acquainted um, with, the, with the, um, the Jewish scriptures, and so particularly the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. No children, never married. Um, it's likely that he never traveled outside of the Middle East, and it's pretty much universally agreed upon that he worked in um, his, his family trade of some sort, a manual Labor, And this is whether you believe in his divinity or not, not really my point. I just want to establish this sort of historical understanding. Jesus rose to prominence in, a, in his late 20s and around um, age 30 um, is pretty much everything we know about him crammed into like one, two, like three years max. And um, then what happens is, is without getting into the scriptural details, which we'll do today, um, he's picked up by the authorities in Jerusalem. He has some kind of trial. And then he is executed as like a revolutionary insurgent leader, um, crucified and named king of the Jews. He died by crucifixion around AD 30. And so 
If you're just coming from a historical perspective, the question actually that you need to be asking is why? This is really, really important. Why, why did this happen? How did, the, how did a Jewish rabbi from the edges of Galilee rise to such prominence? This is a really important question. Why was this man crucified as a criminal? And what about this man's claims, particularly one that interests me, why do billions of people follow him still to this day? And I don't just mean like from like a headspace, but like with their lives, we sing. Like Christians do sort of odd things in that sense. Like we gather every week to sing together. Like where else do you do that? Like the club, I don't know. But, um, but like Jesus is, is, um, has impacted our world, right? He, he's revolutionized the treatment of the poor, um, the inclusion of women in his time. He, he's made massive impacts on medicine and hospitals, his impact on art. And of course, we would say as a community, follow, choosing to follow Jesus in 2023, he's made an impact on us. And so you take those historical implications about the person of Jesus, and then what you begin to do is you read the Bible and you're like, wow, what if this is actually true? What if the things that he's saying actually are real? And what does that mean about myself? But also, what does it mean for us as a community, particularly Jesus' claims that I want to focus on today about him being a specific type of king, all right? So here's where verse 1 um, begins. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany. So let me just pause here. Um, this in your Bible, if you look at the heading, is called the triumphal entry. Wrong. It should actually be called like the triumphal procession because we're actually still outside of Jerusalem. Just like an odd note. Your Bible editors are wrong. I don't know. Um, the Mount of Olives is about a three-quarter miles outside of Jerusalem. And so it's like a procession outside the city. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends two of his disciples and say to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. I don't know why, all I could think about when I read this this week was like, I want to try that with a city bike sometime, you know, just like walk up like, God needs this, like I'm going to take it from you right now, I'll bring it back. Um, don't try that. But I say this is like a historic text, right? We're, we're seven days from the resurrection, Sunday um, to Sunday. And without, without some of the historical understandings, what we actually do when we read the text is we strip Jesus of his humanity. Jesus is very human. Jerusalem, he knows, means impending death. And I've been saying this over and over the last couple of weeks. I'm kind of annoyed of myself in that sense. But like Jesus is walking towards his death and he knows it. And so there's a sort of weight here. And when we look at his actions in this passage, they're purposeful and um, calculated. I looked at that. I found this mural um, this week. And I don't know why it spoke to me so much. Um, this is a mural. I think it's in the Dominican Republic by an artist named um, Jose Anoa. And I just sort of looked at it and thought, joy and, and worship. I see movement happening. There's something taking place. And it got me thinking about Jesus' intentionality, his movement to where he's going. There's like clear movement one direction in the picture. Go into the village in front of you. And when you enter it, you'll find a colt tied to which no one has ever sat. This moment is planned. And I, I don't want to like lessen the impact of Jesus. Maybe he's, he's all-knowing, and so he's like, this is what's going to happen. That's kind of how I normally would read it. But I thought this week, what if Jesus like planned this out? 
What if he was like, hey, I'm actually going to go set this up, and then I'm going to come back out into the city? I don't think, regardless, it it really matters, but he gets the colt, and then verse 7, so fascinating. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. I'm assuming that this is the disciples. And then I just sat with this phrase forever this week. He sat on it. I was like, Jesus is always walking in the, in the um, Gospels. He's always walking. He's always walking. He's always walking. And then he's eating, right? It's like walking and eating. These are like the tasks of Jesus. And here, he's sitting on it. He, he's, he's making claims again. I, I like how the, the writer is, um, the, the, the writer Mark is almost trying to be dramatic, right? He sat on it. All right, it's moving in, right? It's purposeful and calculated. And look at the crowd. And we'll talk more about this in a minute. But he says, many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what is Jesus doing? Like, what's the, what's the claim here that he's making? Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a king. Blessed, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the crowd is sort of responding, but... Jesus is actually doing something sort of inharmonious as a king. In this time when a king would come, they would come riding the big, powerful horse saying, like, I'm coming for victory into the city. And the, the, the word for cult here is the, the Greek word is polos. Um, and it, it actually just means young animal. And so, I don't know, like a young elephant maybe he came riding in. I don't know. Um, a donkey was the, like, most probable because it was the most common animal in this time. So that's probably um, what's happening. I was reading a commentary this week, and it said, like, that it was a donkey, and then it started talking about um, uh, Sancho Panza from Don Quixote, and I was like, I got to Google this one. I was like, we need these commentaries to catch up a little bit, because I was thinking about little Sebastian from Parks and Rec, and he, okay, thank you. I was really hoping, there we go. Um, if you don't get this reference, um, you're, you're missing out in a big way. I watched this episode this week, and Andy is hilarious. They, they, he wrote the song, 5,000 Candles in the Wind, like the memorial for little Sebastian. And so here's the king, Jesus, with the little horse, right? The, the, the little donkey. And this is the kind of king he is, right? He's, he's done miracles of power, right? He's provided in a new way. He's giving, like, revolutionary teaching, and then he's coming riding this little horse and it's it's just inharmonious right it's like seeing a celebrity on the subway or like it'd be like jeff bezos delivering your amazon packages or something um elizabeth was telling me about how um princess diana would sneak um william and harry into mcdonald's and like those are things that are inharmonious right and this is like what god does and we know that this is part of fulfilling a prophecy um, in the book of zechariah and zechariah 9 9 Um, It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. And then listen to this. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Humble. Or or maybe a better word is gentle. This is how the king chooses to come. And there's that question again. God, what what are you like? And I feel like this is sort of the essence, right? Jesus is the king, and he's allowed to ride in on the big, powerful horse, but he chooses not to. And the thing that's so amazing about Jesus is he takes two qualities that you think could never exist in one person, 
and he takes both of them on perfectly. Two things that you would say, that is mutually exclusive for these two things to exist, and he brings them together, right? I'm the king, right? I'm coming in majesty, but I'm going to do it meek and mild on a donkey, right? The book of Revelation, in the same passage, I think it's chapter 7, it says that Jesus is the lion and he's the lamb. How, how can you be both a lion and a lamb? He has power and he has weakness. When we read the Bible, we're learning that Jesus is going to bring justice, but he does it full of grace. We separate those things. He's all sufficient in and of himself, and yet somehow he has utter submission to the Father. How do you have both of those things? He's high, holy, reigning in power, but then somehow he's accessible too. What king do you know? What person do you know with authority and power that has that much accessibility? And this is the brilliance of Jesus. He's the king, but he's an accessible king. And even our passage today, you could really, you could really um, like take the next passage and like clump them together. Um, but um, Jesus is coming um, gently. And then next week, what Brandon's going to talk about is how Jesus comes into the temple and starts flipping tables. Now, how does that exist in one person, right? This is the brilliance uh, of Jesus. And I think problems come to us in our spiritual life when we emphasize one to the detriment of the other, right? It's, it's okay to lean one way probably, but, but in, in all actuality, we can say, you know what? Grace and justice are actually things that um, we need to bring together to really understand who God is and what Jesus came to do. And so Jesus's actions are purposeful and, and calculated, but let's not forget that they're also dangerous. Jesus's actions are also dangerous, and really what the triumphal entry is, is the beginning of the end of Jesus's life. This is him walking in to the end of his life. And then we look at the crowds here in verse 7. The first part is the disciples. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Now that word Hosanna there is like, um, it's like saying, save us, help us. It's like what the crowd shouts out when the, the procession comes by. And hopefully what we catch there is the passion, right? There's excitement, there's hope about what this king is going to do. But I think if we're not careful, we'd miss that there's actually a bit of confusion here too. Now, I've been trying to reference this over the last few weeks a little bit, but I think this is a good time to give us some greater insight into both what the disciples and the crowds misunderstand about the person of Jesus, right? Jesus is on the outside of Jerusalem. They're, they're coming in. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to read in a few chapters later, what is the crowd saying then? Crucify him. Crucify him, right? And I think what, what the author actually is trying to get you to do as you um, read further is that... Um, the crowds are there, but then the crowds disappear, and then the disciples disappear, and then Jesus' closest, um, the circle of three disappear, and Jesus actually um, has less and less people as time goes on in the Gospels, this pretty lonely place. And it's hard for us to grasp what's happening here, um, one, because we don't live in the first century and we don't live in a monarchy, but two, because we're not nationalistic Jews. And what I mean by that is they're, they're shouting, Hosanna, save us, help us. They're not necessarily thinking, save us, help us in like the personal sense. They're actually thinking about national restoration. They're thinking about political revolution. What they're actually thinking is it's time for us to get 
ours, right? We're going to have the Roman authorities overturned. The, the temple is going to be the place of power. And if Jesus, in one sense, if you think about it this way, if Jesus said, yes, I'll do that, his crowd would have got a lot bigger, right? And maybe he wouldn't have been crucified, or maybe he'd been crucified for a different reason. But they're thinking to themselves, we hate the Romans. I don't want to live in subjugation to the Romans. We need a political champion. Hosanna, save us. Is it passionate? Yes. Is it anticipating? Yes. But is it confused? I think that it's confused. They're hoping that Jesus will do for them what he never, never, never promised to do. What's the point for us today? Jesus, the king, won't be used as a, as a tool or a pawn for a political agenda, right? And so we should be historically attuned in this way. So we're understanding, all right, there's like complex political history happening in the first century. That's, that's all fine and good. But really what this should actually serve for us is a harsh critique of Christian nationalism in any form. This is not the way of Jesus. This is clearly what, what we're seeing is that Jesus doesn't reign through national restoration or political revolution, but he actually reigns through sacrifice. He actually reigns through obedience to the Father um, as a sinless and suffering servant. This is his way. His way is simply different, right? You could send that soundbite to your uncle, okay? So this is, I send it to my dad, all right? I got you. So, so here's what Jesus is doing in the triumphal entry. He's saying this is the beginning of the end. This is the process I walk. This is the way in which I do it. What does that mean for us? Like, what are the implications for us as a community? And I just want to say, um, I want to say three things here um, because our, our hearts are prone. Um, I should say, I'll say it this way. My heart is prone to leaning on Jesus as a savior, but not looking to him as a Lord. I don't want a Lord. I got a Lord. I can do that myself, right? And so this is the difference. I want to I bring these two words into congruence and just give us like three takeaways today. And so the first is this, is that we need to desire the kingdom and the king. Desire the kingdom and the king. And so Jesus, um, when he comes, he's inaugurating um, the kingdom. Um, in our meeting this morning, we read Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. Who is this king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? So what Jesus is doing, he's becoming the fulfillment of what's taken place. And then, and then in the text, if you follow it, he's, he's going to be called king. But it's going to be in a mocking fashion, king of the Jews. And then this is where we started in, in Mark chapter 1, probably, probably second, third, most important verse in all of Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And so the time is fulfilled. Um, time here is the Greek word kairos. It doesn't mean a moment in time. It means um, a, 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 an aha moment. Jesus is saying, this is my time to break through where I am, the kingdom of God is. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing in the kingdom of God. My presence is. Um, Dallas Willard says that the kingdom of God is the range of his effective will. So what is, what is the kingdom of God? Is it like this tangible place? Is it this thing? The kingdom of God is where Jesus is king. It's where what God wants done, God gets done. That's where the kingdom of God. So the church is not the kingdom of God, but the, the, the church can bring out the aspects of the kingdom of God. It's sort of like um, you think of a, a, a sunny day and the rays of sun poking through the trees, right? You stand in the, the shade of the tree, but a little bit of light, light po pokes through. 
That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like, it's here, but it's not yet. And we're just seeing glimpses of it. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm bringing it. But then I love the second half of this verse because he's giving us some instructions. Repent and believe in the gospel, this idea of this good news. Um, repentance is a, is a, the Greek word is metanoia. It, it means um, to go a new direction. So it's, it's I'm going this way with my life and whatever happens, good, bad, I'm realizing that I need to do something different and I 180 degrees do a turn. I'm going a different way. And so repentance um, in our lives um, can actually become like a really practical thing. Um, it means to turn away from the things that are detrimental to our lives. Um, some of you in this room know all too well, um, life has pits. And there are moments in life when we actually have to turn around and go a new direction. But the cool thing is, is that one, yes, there's, you know, there's action in this for us. But then there's this word belief. Um, we just sang the song, lean back into your loving arms. Um, the word um, belief in the Greek is pistis. It means to trust. It actually, in a literal sense, means to lean on or to like lean back on. It's saying like, um, if, if, I, if, if, if I have a limp leg and I have a, a crutch, I'm using it. I'm trusting that it's going to hold my weight. And so um, I like one pastor says that um, um, pistis is like to relax and it's like to sit back into. So we repent, we turn and go a new direction and we choose to believe. What, what am I getting at here? For some of us, Jesus is a savior. Right? We're like, okay, if there's such a thing as hell, I want to make sure that I don't go there. And so let's, let's let Jesus be my savior. But do we want a king? Do you want a king in your life? Like, what does a king do? A king has power. A king exerts authority. Right? A, a king provides for sure. But I think that we have in us a sense of right and, and this sense of um, justice right we long for justice not in not just in our own lives but in the world we want the world to be at peace and so i don't know about you but i woke up this morning i checked the news and i'm like another horrific shooting and i think to myself god i'm longing for your kingdom to like be established um on earth as it as it is in heaven and so there's sort of this universal longing for um Maybe it's not exactly the kingdom, but it's, it's the elements of the king, kingdom, right? We want to eradicate shootings and homelessness like don't walk by and racism and human trafficking and hunger and abuse in any form and war. And so there's this deep longing in our soul that we could exist as a people with no war or violence or evil, right? But the problem is, is we want the kingdom, but it's often that we don't want the king. Right? And maybe you'd say, well, actually, that, I think in a lot of ways that describes some of uh, people in my family or, or, or my friends. Because the truth is, is we want the rights and we still want the freedoms. We, we, we want to do what we want to do, right? And we're skeptical, like in, in a good way sometimes, but we don't want other people to force their views on us, right? Because we're, we're in command of the world. We're in um, command. I can, no one can judge me. I, I just judge myself, right? We want the kingdom without the king. Um, I was thinking about this week, I thought, um, it's so, we're so naturally bent towards ourselves. I'm so selfish. I want the comfort. I read the Bible and I want the sonship, right? I want the, I want the benefits. I want the forgiveness. But then there's a real challenge here. Do you, do you want the Savior and the Lord or no, right? And, and you ask why, maybe you'd say, well, you know, I'm just self-centered. I, I think it's bigger than that. I think that often what it is is that we have a low view of God and we have a really high view of ourselves. And I think this passage could really, really humble us. 
we look at the passage, what is Jesus doing? He's a different kind of king, but he's still a king. Do you want the Lord part of things? Uh, the Greek word for Lord is kurios. It's, um, it's a person exercising rights over another people. It's hard, right? Yes, I want your salvation. I don't know about your lordship, though. You don't get to do that with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm both Savior and I'm Lord. And the, brilliance, the brilliant thing about Jesus is how he can do both. He can be both of those things. He can be justice and grace. And so let me, let me just push a little bit here before I move on. If you're wrestling with like a deeply personal sin today, maybe even something that um, you feel a bit of shame around, I actually want to, I want to, I want to model something here for you. I don't know what that is. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to draw anything out in you. What I'm trying to say is generally when you take that thing in your life, you say, Jesus, help me, save me. But let me, let me just bring that thing, whatever it is, to the other side. What about obedience? What about bringing that thing to like a holy and good God who's still going to love you? That's, that's, that's not the point, but to understand that God is both of these things simultaneously. He's so good, he will forgive you because he's a savior, but he's also a Lord that, that asks something specific of, of, of us, which is holiness, okay? Will we, um, will we bring these things to God knowing that he is good, that he's not going to shame us, but that he does have ex- expectations for us? And I sort of love the, um, the, the passage. It's subtly asking questions of us, right? Will you put your property at the disposal of the king, right? Will you lay down your cloak so the king can walk on it? Will you sacrifice your time to worship him? Does Jesus have this level of um, authority in your life? All right, the next one, um, learning to pray. So the first one is desiring the kingdom and the king. The second one is learning to pray to Father and to king all week i was looking at this and i just kept thinking what about the lord's prayer right the lord's prayer says um, jesus is, is teaching his disciples how to pray and it's our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily breads and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and i saw these two words and i was like that that's it what do we get to do we get to pray to, to God as a father, right? What does a father do? It's, it's deeply personal. A father listens and loves unconditionally, right? And so we come to the father who's, who's uh, allowing us to access um, him in this way. And then we're, we're sort of juxtaposed here. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Um, maybe you've heard this before. Um, no one should wake the king, right? If, if a toddler needs water in the middle of the night or needs to go to the bathroom, the toddler does not wake the king, right? But who, what toddler gets to wake the king? The king's children, right? And we get that kind of access that, that Jesus is, 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 is praying, modeling that we talk to God as a father, but then we come to a God that actually has power as well as a king. So I was, um, I was praying this week and I was listening to some music. Um, it's by this, um, like these, this band, it's like these two guys, they're, um, it's called Balmoria. And does anybody know this? Okay, I'm not, it's just me. Um, look it up. And so I'm listening to this and um, it's like this sort of instrumental music, but it's sort of building like power and I'm just praying. And I was like, oh, I, I should pray differently. Like I'm reading this and I'm like, I should pray like 
Like God actually, one, hears me and, and responds, but also that like what I'm saying has power. I think I started praying like out loud in the office and people are like, what is that guy doing in there? But the, the point is that the, the father loves unconditionally, but the king deals decisively. And we come to God as both. That's what we get to do. N.T. Wright says it like this. I used to think of this clause simply as a prayer of resignation. Thy will be done with a shrug of the shoulders. What I want doesn't matter too much. If God really wants to do something, I suppose I can put up with it. That might do if God were a remote, detached God. But this won't do for Jesus. No, this is a risky, crazy prayer of submission and commission. Or if you like the prayer of subversion and conversion, it's the way we sign on in our turn for the work of the kingdom. So when we pray to this king, he's saying, yes, pray, but it's an invitation. We pray our way into participating into um, the kingdom. And so we should um, pray to desire the king and the kingdom. And what's the last one here? And I just want to simply acknowledge this. I just want to acknowledge the uniqueness of King Jesus. The uniqueness of King Jesus. Reading this passage, it's, it should make, you, make us chuckle a little bit, right? As silly as this donkey thing sounds, um, it should make us see that Jesus is different, right? Jesus um, takes our day-to-day lives and he really models an alternative way um, to be. I'm just thinking about monarchies this week. Kings have power, right? Kings have wealth. Um, kings historically lord other over other people like you and i have watched game of thrones right we like we know the story we know what happens and what does jesus do he rejects power over other people he wants to be the servant of all he rejects excessive wealth wanting everyone to share in goods there's sort of a communalism going on Jesus rejects violence, right? That's that's actually one of the important things that we should take away from these passages is that he chooses a way of suffering in death, right? He's willing to be killed rather than to kill. And what we find is that this king is utterly different than what we could have ever imagined. But he's still a king. And those two things can exist. And so I want to invite invite the band up. uh, we're going to partake of communion here uh, in a minute, and then um, we're going to sing another song. But um, this isn't the only animal that Jesus is, is um, riding um, in the Bible. And so what I want to do is I want to read this passage from Revelation 19 to sort of juxtapose our passage today. It's going to be on the screen. There are two passages from Revelation, and maybe what this would do would be um, for some of us just reframe who God is. So let me read this, and then I'll, I will pray. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen and white and pure, were followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then skipping to Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the earth, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. And so, God, the question we started with was, um, what are you like? And God, thank you for um, just a, a new vision of who you are, right? That you can bring together majesty and meekness and justice and grace and sufficiency in yourself and full dependence on God. You are a king. And somehow we could say today that you are a gentle king. I pray that, God, as we leave this place, that um, we would be sent um, to care and to love our neighbors um, like you would that our heart and passion um, to serve the city would actually be framed by um, how you lived and how you walked on this earth. And God, as we partake of this, um, this bread and this cup today, may it be reminded of our desperate need for you, but your great sacrifice for us. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.